Welcome to the Learning Forte podcast, where we hold conversations with hybrid leaders who are navigating change, experimenting with new ways to form community, and pursuing the common good. Our guests for these episodes are so brilliant and the content so life-giving, we wanted to make portions of them available to all of you. This podcast began as a part of our Strategic Imagination Sandbox, an online learning cohort experience for hybrid leaders. You can learn more about that at www.learningforte.com. While we have plans for more guests on future episodes beyond the scope of the sandbox, for now, we're sharing 15 minute or so portions of longer three-part conversations that have shaped this program. We hope you enjoy and share and find that this content supports your values-aligned leadership in hybrid spaces. Well, welcome to the Strategic Imagination Sandbox hosted by Learning Forte. We are eager to dive into episode five as we focus on planning for feedback to enable responsive and progressive iteration. This week, we dive into feedback and assessment of our work as a way to assure they are grounded in our values and move us towards real impact. So, Stacy, before we introduce our guest for this month, I wonder if you could share a word about feedback and assessment and why this matters and values grounded leadership and commitment to impact. I think that the only reason that some of us avoid formal assessment or feedback is because we want to avoid the hard conversations. But the reality is we're going to get assessed and we are going to get feedback whether we plan for it or not. And so for me, it really becomes a question of how do I structure the kind of feedback I want to receive and structure assessment so that it's most effective and can help me iterate and continue to improve. Um, how do I do that? And how am I intentional about that? We have talked a lot in the sandbox about how in order to have impact, long-term impact for the greater good, you have to continue to iterate and improve upon things and learn from what you're doing. And assessment is the process that allows you to do that. I'm grateful our guest is someone who knows about feedback and assessment, someone who has developed a model we at Learning Forte use with great frequency. Emily Ray is the founder of Make Sense Media, an award-winning instructional designer at Full Sail University and a course director in their Media Communications Bachelor of Science program. Outside the classroom, Emily is engaged in a number of award-winning digital storytelling projects for reflection and therapeutic processing, for social justice, and for career development. Emily is civically engaged with several organizations that serve marginalized populations in a local community. Emily is also the author of The RISE Model, which is a framework for the giving and receiving of meaningful feedback. The RISE Model has been implemented in classrooms, corporations, and government agencies around the world. Emily is widely recognized for her work with RISE and is regularly invited to speak at high-profile educational events, including South by Southwest EDU, the New Media Consortium Conference, the Apple Distinguished Educator Institute, and Future of Education Technology Conference. So, Emily, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Now, we say this with every one of our guests. That's what the website says about you. 
How would you share who you are and what you do if we were in an elevator together sipping lobby-level coffee and you were getting off at the third floor, and as we say, a little bit briefly? Yeah. Um, again, thank you for having me here um, to talk about this topic. Um, I think what feels important to share is that for me, my mission personally, professionally is to get involved in more meaningful conversations. Um, and I do this in a number of ways. And one of them is just to listen deeply, to stay present with whoever I'm with, uh, to allow myself to be vulnerable in the service of connection um, and learning, but also to scale my reach or my impact through mentorship. Um, and also through the creation of different kinds of tools and resources to help people with similar pursuits. Um, and I think that, you know, today the focus will be on uh, feedback and assessment and a tool I developed called the RISE model. What I'm going to ask you first is what really led you to develop the RISE model? I mean, we'll, we'll discuss what that kind of is in a bit, but really want to just ask what led you to develop it. It was a problem that I was looking to address in one of my own learning environments. So years ago, I was working with a group of learning and development professionals uh, who wanted to incorporate different kinds of media and technology into their respective spaces. Um, you know, so we had people uh, who were K-12 educators and people who were corporate trainers. So it was a very diverse group um, looking to employ different kinds of engaging uh, learning and curriculum into a variety of spaces. Um, so the common thread was that they were all educators of some kind, and we were using um, LMS technology, but also a community of practice on social media to help facilitate the learning experience that we were having together. Um, and what I found was that even when these uh, individuals would readily converse, uh, interact and engage in you know, more of a casual environment, say like social media, the interactions that they had uh, inside the LMS were quite stunted. Uh, when asked to give each other critiques or feedback, I was seeing a lot of thumbs up, good job, I like it type of responses, which um, it was a little bit of a, a dismay because these were educators uh, in some shape or form who knew and promoted the value of that kind of um, you know, assessment or, or learning inside their own environments. So um, what I did was just started asking questions. I got really curious with this group as to what the um, resistance was, where the tension was, and it really just all came down to fear. It came down to the fear of um, not knowing what to say, the fear of not knowing how to say it, or worse, saying something that would hurt someone's feelings um, and, and cause all, con like, all kinds of tension or problems. My goodness. <laughs> I think of how much of leadership is about easing the angst related to fear. And the fact that that is what grounded your work is um, really a gift to leaders as someone who's saying, you know what, that's the case. Uh, fear is out there and I'm going to help people with that. <laughs> yeah. It felt really important on the front end to acknowledge that and to develop a workflow or a system or a methodology to mitigate those things um, and to help um, usher people through a process that was shared and known uh, and therefore less, less scary. 
um, you know, this experience really opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, feedback is a skill that most of us are, are really just kind of expected to have when we enter into the workforce or into different circles or communities. Um, and it's something that those who can do it well are quite prized and valued for. But most of us never really receive any kind of formal education or training on this skill that we're all just expected to have. And so that was really an eye opener for me. Um, in terms of what can we do to help demystify this and just create something that becomes a shared way of interacting and being with each other. Um, I can hear in my head a lot of our strategic imagination sandboxers saying, would you just tell us what the RISE model is? And I want to say this right now. I know that fear is rooted in not knowing. We will get there. Uh, this first episode in this sandbox podcast with you, Emily, is all about inquiry, and it's about inquiring into what led you to do what you do and how you do it. And so, before we go into that in episode two, uh, I want to still lean into a little bit about values. And so, the second question we have for you is: what What are some important personal values you hold as a leader that have shaped your work as a designer, educator, author, and, and someone who's engaged in civic work as well? And how do these values shape your ongoing work? My core values are freedom and connection. Um, and that is across my personal and professional life. And so at the surface, they could kind of seem maybe paradoxical, but I find them to work quite um, symbiotically in my own life and in my relationships. So for me, freedom is the space um, to explore, to discover uh, who I want to be in this world. Um, and connection is the support that's needed for me to become that thing um, or all of those things. And so the more that I know about myself, the more that I'm free to explore these things, um, the more I'm able to show up authentically in my relationships and whether that's my personal relationships or my professional ones, when I'm free to learn about myself, my gifts, how I want to make an impact, um, I can show up more readily as that person in all of these different spaces. Um, and so when I operationalize these values in my life in terms of action or um, commitments, I feel a great sense of integration um, inside um, as if, you know, all of I'm in my Venn diagram sweet spot of skills, interests, talents, contributions, um, and it more easily allows me to lean into what I'm doing to know that it is anchored in these things that I've already identified freedom and connection as as huge drivers in my life. You know, Emily, I mean, we've talked a lot with our sandboxers about how personal values and the, the alignment with organizational values is, is essential. But what I love that you just did there is you named your, your personal values that exist outside of your professional work, though. It's not like if you didn't have those values of your professional work, you, you would lose your own individuality. Um, it's like, no, these are things that I do uh, in these a spaces. metaphor and that I've been working that, with quite a bit lately is to describe developing the skill mm -hmm. of feedback. It really does like just learning allow how to, to tango show up. more fully. Um, you know, you're not, not expected to know how to do it without um, there's first not a lot of energy or time engaged. Spent, and if you do so, you um, risk having, maybe landing uh, on a few toes, having to think about who should I be when I show up But it's when you are engaged in the dance that you both work on the front end. And you relax and you start to feel 
feel no comfortable myself, with the steps. Um, they just, they disappear. You know, know, they become so ingrained in your muscle memory and your movement such that, you know, I you're not being really rigid anymore. And how you respond is almost like your own sense of rhythm or style or improvisation. If I have two vocations, like learning forte and then the clergy as a priest when I serve my congregation. And I consistently am always pushing back against that because I'm saying I'm the same person in both environments. Um, you know, my little church gets the CEO part of me and, mm-hmm. um, you know, learning forte gets the pastoral part of me too. And I think that just that piece of your articulation of how important this values alignment work is so that we can show up most fully as who we are in all of our environments um, is so important. And I heard that piece, what you didn't quite say, but I was hearing is that it's a way to sustain my energy. That's right. I don't have to think about where I'm going to be and who's showing up mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm showing up in the same way all the time. Yeah. And I think that is just such an important piece of leadership that unfortunately, especially for leaders who are in iconic professions such as clergy and lawyers and doctors and others who we can sometimes give into the temptation to play the role instead mm-hmm. of figuring out how to be most authentically ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is a, a way to um, preserve the energy, avoid leakage, right? Leakage in our systems um, and, and just to, to harness every everything that you have in all of the spaces that you care about. Because certainly in the same way that you spoke to being at Learning Forte and in your congregation, who I am here in this conversation is also who I show up as in my classroom with my students or with my colleagues or in some of the spaces where I consult. So, um, you know, I don't have to decide what hat to put on in the morning um, because it's just one hat. Ooh. Speaking of the values of freedom, I think you just gave folks freedom right there um, by reminding folks that you don't have to have a collection of hats. By doing the values integration work uh, that relates to yourself, it allows you to only wear one and to be the best of yourself when you're wearing that hat. So thank you for that gift. Yeah, I do many things, but wear only one hat. (laughs) Emily, I know a little bit about your um, professional history and... I also know that the RISE model has just taken off in the last handful of years in ways that I don't think you ever expected. Would you speak to that and share a little bit of that journey with us? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the RISE model uh, was, as I mentioned before, um, the solution to a problem that I was facing in, in one of my own learning environments. And um At the time, I mentioned I was teaching and interacting with other educators. And what ended up happening is that those educators really enjoyed using the RISE model and with permission took it back into their own um, environments and to start to use it with their K-12 students, um, start to use it at medical schools, start to use it in government agencies in all of these different places. And now, uh, 12 years later, I find that the RISE model has been, you know, um, implemented in 80 to 90, you know, colleges, universities, organizations worldwide. And those are the ones that I know about. And so certainly as um, someone who didn't set out to create 
the model that it has become, um, I have had to do a little bit of soul searching for sure about how do I support this thing that I created, but didn't know was going to continue to live and breathe and grow far beyond, um, the initial moment in time that I was leveraging it in that space. Um, and as someone with, uh, <laughs> as, as I said before, doing many things, but a single hat, um, sometimes that looks like, uh, two full-time jobs. Sometimes it looks like throwing a couple of freelance projects on top of that, uh, serving on boards, community service. And at the end of the day, the question is what time or energy is left to um, further the work of the RISE model and further the work of creating tools or resources um, to help people who are trying to make strides in this area. I know that one of the things we've talked about in the sandbox is not only values and, and feedback, but also clear objectives. In other words, you can't measure or assess what you have not actually defined. How would you describe the importance of clear objectives for leaders, especially those navigating change and the complexity of our hybrid world? For me as a leader, it always feels really important to um, look out on a horizon and, and point at a North Star, something to guide, uh, guide the efforts of a team or a group. Um, and in the same breath to acknowledge that the journey between here and there is full of unknowns and how the, the route that we're actually going to take to get there might be quite different than we imagine. Um, so even if you know where you want to go, you don't know what you're going to encounter along the way. I used to live an hour and 50 minutes um, from campus uh, to I'd have to drive in for a lecture and, you know, all things equal, it was an hour and 15 minutes from where I was to where I was going. But inevitably, almost every day, it was never that right. There was traffic or an accident or, you know, something that created a moment of pause, a moment, uh, a need to reassess. Do I stay on this route that I, you know, know is the quickest point between A and B, or do I divert to a country road because, you know, it just seems like there's going to be no other way to get there. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I like to do is to practice this idea of reevaluating in the moment and, and recentering like what that goal is and, and feeling nimble enough to be able to uh, like to pivot, to change directions, to capitalize on, um, insights or opportunities that couldn't have, you know, been foreseen a mile back. Um, you know, it's just when you've turned that bend that these things often, you know, times become apparent that you will need to divert or to maybe speed up in some way to, again, try to reach that, that goal or that destination that was on the horizon, but that it's not a, you decide once and then, you know, it's a linear path, uh, with no interruptions to get there, but that these things that come in our way, um, become moments to reassess and reevaluate how we're going to get from where we are to where we want to be. But also to know that where we want to be might change as a result of all of these things that we encounter. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Learning Forte podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it in your social spaces. If you're interested in learning more about the Strategic Imagination Sandbox or enrolling in an upcoming cohort, be sure to visit our website at www.learningforte.com.